For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, God, we just need more of You. And at times, our hearts, our hearts don't want more of You. Forgive us. Be gracious to us this morning and give us more of You according to this prayer that Paul is praying. Please, God, Show us more of You and this love that surpasses knowledge. Peel back the curtain even further. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking through this letter that Paul has written to the church here. And up to this point, what we've seen in chapters 1, 2, and 3 is, is Paul is he's unfolding the mystery of God's salvation plan for his readers. Really, this is what the first half of this book is. is it's Paul peeling back the curtain to the spiritual blessings that we've received in Christ. And as we move on, the second half, chapters 4 through 6, is going to be more of the, the practical applications. It's, it's more of like this. Since this is what Christ has done for us, this is now what we do in light of that. And right here we are going to see a transition prayer. But before we get to this transition prayer, I just want to remind us what we saw last week. Because without understanding what we saw last week, we can't really put this prayer into context to slingshot us forward for the second half of this letter. What we saw last week was, was that Paul was explaining to them how God's wisdom is displayed and who his wisdom is displayed to. That is that God's wisdom is displayed by redeeming sinners and then uniting them into one community, one family that we call the church. And by us being unified as messy, different sinners into one family and one church, God's wisdom and glory is actually displayed to this world, and even more specifically, Paul says, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So, you know, those who are light and bright and those who are dark and dim. 
I'm talking about those angels that are light and bright and the angels that are dark and dim. So God's wisdom and glory is displayed to the heavenly realm and to this world by God redeeming sinners and then uniting them into one community. So the church is not a mistake. This local body right here is not a mistake. It's got a purpose, and that purpose isn't for us to build up our own egos and own platforms and own parties. It's to display God's wisdom. And so it would make sense that as Paul is now wrapping this up, he's transitioning now to a prayer. He finishes this section of the letter by prayer, just as he started this section with a prayer. So what is Paul praying for here? If you're, uh, if you're part of that type A crowd and you're taking notes right now, here, go ahead and write this in. To try to summarize these verses the best as possible, this is what, what Paul is trying to pray for. Paul is praying that the church would understand and experience more of God. This is what he's, he's praying for. Before he gives them the practical application of this is what we do in light of the mystery of God's salvation plan, he is praying for this church that they would understand and experience more of God. We'll see why this is important for us. We'll see why in the scheme of how Paul is laying out this letter, he's not telling them to do this first, but he's reminding them what's done and then praying that they would experience more so then they do what they need to do in light of the gospel. So here, before we get going, I just want to ask a question. And I think this question is a very common question that we all wrestle with. And at some point, being born-again believers, if that's you sitting down, we've all asked ourselves to some degree or another. Have you ever asked yourself, how could I fall into sin again? You know, and then usually that's followed up after that with this is this is the last time. It's the last time. This is this is the last time. It's the last time I'm gonna sin in this way again. I'm just gonna get I'm I'm just I'm just through with it. How could I fall into sin again? I promised myself last time that I wasn't gonna fall into sin, and now I've fallen into sin again. How could I do this? This is the last time. It's the it's last time that I get angry like this at my kids or my spouse. It's, it's the last time I respond this unchristlike way on Facebook or Instagram or, or Twitter. It's the, it's the last time I get those angry fingers out to reply in an angry manner towards that person. It's, it's the last time I'm through with it. I just don't, don't want to do it. It's the last time I steal. It's the last time. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just done with it. I, I, I don't need those things. I don't know why I steal it. There's just something about it. It's the last time I look at pornography. This is it. I'm done with it. It's the last 
time. How could I do this again? It's the last time that I'm going to get drunk. I'm not touching the bottle anymore. I'm not going to get high anymore. I told myself last time it was the last time and I just didn't mean it, but, but this time I mean it, it's the last time. And then you fall again. And your desire is to obey God. I think there is a, a power problem at play here. I think a, a lot of Christians and a lot of us struggle and have this power problem. And, and here's the power problem. It's that we, in ourselves, we don't have the power to resist temptation and sin like we think we actually can. But here's what Paul is praying for. This is what he's trying to get this church to understand, and this is what he's praying that the church would understand, is that that God's power is far more than we could possibly realize. And so we have this power problem, this power struggle, where we think that we can do it on our own, but in reality, we can't. We may be able to make little corrections here and there in our lives, but in and of ourselves, we can't do it. And yet, the Holy Spirit that's been put within us is just pleading and asking, just use me. Trust me. Paul is already writing to the Romans, telling them, by the Spirit you can put to death the deeds of the flesh. You can put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit, and yet, far too often, we want to rely in ourselves. And, and so we see the first part that Paul prays for, for this church. Paul prays that the church would experience more of God's power. We see this. But before, before we get to, to, to what Paul prays for, let's just quickly, like I just want, want to quickly go over here and take a look at Paul's humility as he's getting ready to pray. Because we see a, a few ways that Paul prays that, that should cause us to be kind of maybe embarrassed of our prayer life. Because the way that Paul prays is one of incredible humility, guys. Look, right here, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, now, to give us some context, because this may not seem like all too embarrassing for us, to give us some, some context, in the first century, a Jewish man did not bow to pray. In fact, that's what makes Jesus' parable of the two people who are praying, the one who's on his knees beating his chest, not looking up to the heavens, saying, Lord, have mercy on a sinner like me. And then you've got the Pharisee over here looking down on the man, talking to God about how impressive he is. This is what makes this parable so scandalous. 
is because this man was praying on his knees and that is not something that a Jewish person did. And yet, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing and communicating to this church that I am humbling myself on your behalf in front of my Father. I am bowing myself. I am pleading with the Father on your behalf, church. This is a man who is moved by great humility and love for this people. He was pleading desperately with God on behalf of these people. But who is he praying to? He's praying to the Father. Oftentimes we pray to Jesus. I don't think it's wrong to thank Jesus, but in almost all of the illustrations that we have of how we should pray, we are to be a people who pray to the Father. We pray to the Father by the Spirit in Jesus' name. When Jesus was uh, asked by the disciples, how do we pray? He says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven. So when you go before God, do you pray to the Father? So Paul is humbling himself before God by praying on his knees and praying to the Father. I love this. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And Paul is he's, he's talking about that family-like unity that the church now has. And so we see this, this prayer is a prayer that starts with humility. He bows down. He addresses the Father who unites his people together. And then he prays that this church would experience more of God's power. Here it is. Verse 16. We can see it that according to the riches of His glory, He might grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Paul is he's praying that this, this church would experience more of the Holy Spirit. He's praying that they would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And, and this is where we get our own strength and the strength of the Holy Spirit confused far too often is we try to, to muster up change in our own life by our own moral behavioral control rather than turning to the God of power. Let me just illustrate it like this, and, and I hope that this doesn't come across as offensive because I understand that people were trying to be encouraging. Sharice and I, if you don't, know this, um, two years ago, our son spent nearly 40 days in the NICU. And then after that, he's had multiple surgeries where we've had multiple stays in the hospital. And, you know, it got to a point halfway through our stay where people continued to tell us, oh, you're just so strong. You are just so strong. You're so strong. You're so strong. You're so strong. And I couldn't help but look at Sharice one time and just say, if they knew the nights that we wept, if they knew the times that I would have to go to the end of Job just to remind myself that I'm not God, 
And I don't know what's going on, and I don't understand what's happening, but I don't feel very strong right now, Sharice. And you know, people are continuing to call me strong. Like all of this anger that's getting built up in my own heart, all of these frustrating thoughts, the fact that we were torn between two of our kids and we had one kid who was a two and a half year old who, who was just trying to make sense of why mom and dad were going to his supposed real brother in a hospital. Like we were having to go back and forth and that doesn't seem very strong and I certainly didn't seem very strong. In fact, I felt very weak. I felt very tempted. I don't think God's calling you to be strong at all. He's not calling me to be strong. You, in and of yourself, you are not strong. The reason why we start out each service with our call to worship being to those who are weak, His grace is enough. To those who are weak, his power is made perfect. To those who are weak, let us boast in this weakness. To those who are weak, then we are strong. It's, it's because of this time in the NICU that Sharice and I spent that what I started realizing is that what the Apostle Paul calls Christians to is the same thing that he was called to. And it's the same thing that Jesus was called to. Was weakness. Because as, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, is that when we are weak, then the power of God rests upon us. This power that we need. This power that we can't conjure up in our own strength. It's the power of God that Paul is praying for, it, for this church. It's the, it's the power through His Spirit in your inner being. What, is Paul, what does Paul mean right here? In your inner being. Well, well Paul is, is talking about the power of the Spirit that changes us and transforms us to look more like our big brother Jesus. It changes us and grows us in the fruit of the Spirit. This, this power that we're given is sent to us and imparted into us upon our profession in faith of Jesus so that by the Spirit we are able to put to death the deeds of the flesh. So that we are able to resist our sin and temptation. So that we are able to resist the devil. So that way we are able to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. And look at this. This power that we're given, we're told is the same power that rose Christ from the dead. Can you believe that? The power of the Spirit that rose Christ from the dead is now in you. And so Paul is asking his heavenly Father that this church would experience more of this power, more of this transformation, more of it. One of the most frustrating things at times for myself and as I talk with Christians is to see how they've settled. 
is to see that this desire of wanting more of God has gone away and they're completely satisfied with where they're at currently instead of desiring more of God. It's, it's almost like we get to a, a point in our walk with Jesus where we say, okay, that's, that's enough. I've, I've got enough of, of Jesus, but I, I really don't want more of Him. I don't really want to experience this transformation that's offered me through the power that has been now given to me. And so Paul is praying. Remember, before he's going to tell them now what to do, he's praying that they would experience more of the Spirit in their inner being. But here's the temptation. Here is the temptation with this, that we can't, we can't touch this. We can't put our hands on this. Because the, the temptation is, is that we do it in our own strength. And we just, we, we just we resort to moral behavioral control for this power. That if I just don't drive around in this area, then I won't be tempted to go to this place. If I don't, just, if, if I don't go by Target, then I won't be tempted to walk into Target and buy something. If I don't just drive around uh, these restaurants, I won't be tempted to go in. If I just get these app blockers or website blockers, then I won't be tempted to look at things that I shouldn't. Now, I'm not saying that maybe we shouldn't do those things, but I'm saying, are we going to this power first? So the first thing is, is that we need to realize that we can't do it in our own strength. This, this power isn't, isn't the power of our own strength. It's the power of the Spirit that has been put into our hearts. The second temptation that we have to watch out for is that we can't take credit for this. We can't take credit for the change and the transformation that takes place in our hearts. We, we've got to keep our hands off of this. Guys, we can't touch this. This isn't ours to touch. This is the, the miraculousness of God at work in us, and so He deserves the glory for any change and transformation that takes place in our hearts. And so the first prayer that Paul prays for is that this church would experience more of God's power. Well, we need to realize something important, that as this power is, is taking place in us, and as this power is placed in us, is that this power doesn't lead to aggression. This power doesn't lead to arrogance. This, this power doesn't lead us to, to think, well, uh, if we just had more of this or more of that, then it would be even greater and greater and greater. This, this, this power isn't, isn't one of influence. This leads to influence. This power leads to love. This, this power that's at work in us, changing us to be more like Christ, is the power that leads us to love. I think maybe this is why some, uh, some f faith leaders are struggling right now with what's going on in our country. And why they're resorting to political things. Because as the power dynamic in America is changing, and it is, it's leading us to, to grieve certain aspects politically. We need to ask ourselves, does this power dynamic lead to more love or does it lead to wanting more things implemented? 
Because the power of the Spirit that changes us will lead to love, not arrogance, not lording it over people. And this is what Paul prays for. Verse 17, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, there it is, that Christ would dwell in us, Now this is what Paul's doing is Paul is just calling back to to earlier in chapter 2. That we were once strangers, we were once on the outside, but now we're being used as bricks to be built up into God's dwelling place. We, the church, Christ dwells in us individually and corporately. And this transformation that takes place and this dwelling of the Spirit that takes place is the place where Christ dwells. And the life of Christ was not the life of arrogance, but the life of Christ and the power that was at work in Him led to greater love for God and His neighbor. Love, it's what marks a Christian. This is what Jesus tells his disciples. By their love, they will know that you are my disciples. People see that we love one another when we bear with one another. You will see we love one another when we keep watch over one another and keep each other accountable. People see our love for one another when we encourage one another all the more as the day is drawing near. You know, there's, 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 let me illustrate it like this for us. There's a story about a guy that I once read And he absolutely hated the church. He was a part of another religion and he hated the church. This was a long time ago. Story has it that as this guy hated the church so much that he threw to the best of his ability as many Christians as possible in jail that he would actually go out and murder Christians. And he had this incredible encounter with God. And this encounter with God changed him from going to an active hater of the church, an active murderer of the church, to where he loved the very people that he was persecuting and loved the God that he was actively trying to squander. This transformation, this change that took place in his heart was by the working of the Spirit, and it led him to then love those who actively hated, to seek their welfare, to seek the expansion of the kingdom of God. If you want to read more about this guy, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. His name was Saul. This prayer 
was a prayer that this church would experience more of God's power by changing their inner being. And it's also a prayer that the church would experience more of God's love and love others. What this tells us about God is that there is, there's more of God to be had. And I'm just wondering, as a church, if we want more of God, less of God, or we just want the same amount of God. Like, do you want to just take your foot off of the gas and coast into the kingdom? Or do you want to put the metal to the pedal and see just what God can do? Church, this, is, this right here is my desire for us. This has been my prayer for us, is that we would want to and desire and experience more of God, not less. Do you see the language that Paul is using here for us? Do you see the language that he's using for the church? May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is Paul praying that this church would know more of God, not less, that they would experience more of God, not less. This is the Christian faith. It's to know God more and experience Him more. We cannot and should not divide or divorce knowledge of God and experience of God which is common to some. They put Jesus on a... Uh, some people just want to know God more by putting Jesus on a surgical table and, and cutting Him open and asking, what is His heart like? And, and what are all of these different definitions? And, and how can I know more and know more and know more? And then there's never experience. Do you know what this is called? This is called religion. Cold religion. Knowledge divided of experience is just cold religion. But then there are others who are tempted to say, I just want the experience. I just want the change. I just want this mystical feeling. And I don't want to know God because, because I've got the, the spirit or some sort of spirit. But do you know what this is called? This is called idolatry. We are a people fundamentally to know God and experience God both. We should not and cannot divorce either. And we see Paul saying this in the text. That you have strength to comprehend. Comprehend with our minds. We need to renew our minds with God's Word. We need to, to know Christ. And we need to know God. And we need to know His holy nature and His attributes. We need to know His Word. But not for the sake of just knowing His Word. So that way we can whip out some arguments. We need to know Him. Desiring to experience Him. Because just as Paul is saying to, to comprehend with all the saints what is the, the breadth and the length and the height and, and the depth and to know the love of Christ, that's not enough, he's saying. Because he's saying that you would be filled, filled with the fullness of God. We need to know God and experience God. And so here's my call to us this morning, is that if you just desire to know God without experiencing God, that's cold and dead religion. 
And if you desire just to experience God without knowing God, then that is idolatry. And you must repent. Because this is playing with fire. And what this might reveal of your heart is that you may not even be born again. You may not have experienced the Spirit of God being placed in your heart because at the end of the day, what happens when we want to know God without experience and experience without knowing God, both are dependent on their own power. One just wants to know how to live a good life without ever experiencing God, and one just wants to live a good life without ever knowing why to live a good life. If that's you this morning, please, I would just plead, repent right now. Turn to Jesus. And know that He is righteous and just to forgive you of all your sins that He will cleanse you from all of them. So then, this praying is also not divorced of doing. That's not what I'm saying at all. And so please don't hear me say, well, Max is just saying we need to just pray these things away. No, we need to take active steps. We need to to pray that we would experience more of God's power and more of His love and then trust that as temptation comes our way that Jesus is better. Maybe you're saying, I hear what you're saying, Max. I've been at this for years. I've been at this temptation for years and it's the same story over and over. There's freedom for two weeks, two months, for a little while, but then I give in. This is maybe one of the greatest doxologies that Paul has written. And if this is you and you're just saying, I've just been at it for years Okay, I'm convinced that there's, there's the power of the Spirit in me, that God's love for me is more vast than I could possibly understand. The length and, and depth and, and height and width. The, the love of God is like if you, just, if, if you take an ant and you put an ant in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. That's God's love for us. And so I, I, I hear that, I see that, but i just been at this too long, Max, and you just don't understand. Now to Him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let me explain it like this. The power of God in us at times gets treated like a AAA battery that we're just trying to find to put in our TV remote. 
But really what Paul is communicating to us is that the power that is within us is a lot more like a nuclear power plant than a AAA battery. The, the power of God is so much more incredible for us than we could possibly realize. And this is why Paul is finishing this section this way. He is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is within us. And so if the same power that rose Christ from the dead is at, is, is at work in us, And how could we not walk out of here glorifying God all the more, trusting that he will make a way of escape, that there is more worship for us to experience of him? All right, so then how should we live? How should we live then, church? If this is the incredible power and the incredible love that God has, How should we live? And I think our application is pretty simple this morning. We need to pray for it. Pray. Pray. We need to be a church that prays for this. We need to be individuals that pray for this. We need to uh, come together, shout out to to the prayer night, and pray for this. We need in our small groups to pray for this. We need uh, as just people in this church to just gather throughout the week or while we're sitting down at lunch or dinner or breakfast. And we need to pray. We need to pray for three specific things according to this passage. First, Pray for more power. Pray that you would experience more of this power in your inner being. Second, pray that you would experience and understand more of God's love. And third, pray for more maturity because at the end of the day all Paul is praying for is that they would grow in Christ by understanding and experiencing the power and love of God if we want to see more of God in this church. If we want to experience more of God here, we need to dedicate ourselves to a prayer like this. If you want to experience more of God in your own life, you need to dedicate yourself to a prayer like this. Let's pray. God, we 
need more of you. We need more of you right now. Hear our prayers, O Lord. And give us more. Change us to look more like Jesus. Cause us to see just how wonderful you are. Soften our hearts to just how powerful you are and help us to trust in you. Help us to experience more of your love and to understand and see that for whatever reason you loved a bunch of sinners first. Change us. Let us experience more of you. Amen.